Hey there, and welcome to Sessions, a podcast by Matt Black, the creators behind the Shapeshift Report. My name is Micah Hakoop. I'm the director of strategy and culture for Matt Black, and I'm here today with my good friend Andy Souser, the creator, creative mind, founder, everything behind Hero Clark. Thanks for being here. Wow, you're way too kind. I did. <laughs> That's <laughs> quite none an of it's untrue. <laughs> Again, way yeah. too kind. Yeah. Okay, we always start with three quick questions to get to know you a little bit. So first one, what's the last song you listened to? Um, it would be Goodbye Horses, Q Lazarus. I'm not. I will have to get that on the playlist. All right, second, <laughs> last, last Instagram post. Oh, gosh, that would be for myself. Um, it was a shot from the new collaboration I just did with Lalabo. Awesome. Um, and it was basically, it was one of the shots that it was just a shout out to the team and thanking them for like working on it. They were great. Nice. And then uh, last question, what's your drink of choice? Tequila. Tequila. Lots of tequila. You have, do you, are you like aged tequila or like a Blanco kind of? I don't think it matters as long as it's tequila. As long as it's tequila. I mean, there are definite levels, but it can just be tequila. It's whatever. Yeah. I recently got, I don't know what it was. We, I went to Mexico earlier this year and the first few days I was there, I was drinking a lot of beer, but I was like feeling so sluggish. So I switched to just tequila and I realized why people love it so much because if you just drink that, but like avoid the sugar, you feel amazing. It's great. Yeah. No hangover. It is great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we'll we'll move on from that apropos for the brand, but can you tell us a bit about your brand hero Clark? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think uh, the brand itself, it's a menswear brand. It's a menswear project. And the focus of the project from inception has been about creating the perfect t-shirt and really looking at the role of the t-shirt in a man's closet, like elevating the t-shirt, obviously it's a go-to for guys, Mm -hmm. something that like in LA, especially like I wear every single day. Um, And with that said, I want to just kind of focus on that product and making it like super great and connecting with the guy over the t-shirt. Yeah. Um, That's like the product side or the design side of it, I guess. But along with that, like I like doing like collaborations obviously and working with other creatives. So for me, it's been able, it's been about taking that t-shirt and telling different stories through the t-shirt. Yeah. It sounds kind of esoteric and strange, but but at the same time it is a t-shirt. So being able to kind of look at it in different ways and work with different people to create it. Like for example, with Lava doing scented t-shirts, like that's super cool. That's super like them playing with fragrance. Um, I hadn't seen that done before. So that was great. Yeah. And then I think even on top of that, the, another interesting twist that was potentially my favorite one was the shirts dipped in the saltwater pool oh, yeah. at Chateau, which was, which I thought was like another cool, like you like iterated t-shirts like six different ways, 10 different ways. And you just, just now start doing sweatshirts after. Well, let's go back to the t-shirts dipped in the saltwater. Yeah. That actually is something you did. Yes, I was there. <laughs> you I participated was, I was in around this project. You helped yeah. create those. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Cool. Yeah. So I, I think like going in like more into the esoteric part of the brand, like that's the first thing that stood out to me about Hero Clark was really like how succinct and clear the mood was. Like, can you define, like define the brand a little bit and like set what that tone is for us? Sure. I think um, when most people think of Los Angeles, their go-to is a very like shiny, sunny, colorful, happy place, which it definitely is. Like the West Coast and the LA vibe has all of those things. I think for someone like me, I moved here from New York and my love is something a little bit more real than that. So 
Hollywood is so prevalent in LA. It's such a huge part of the industry here. It's like a Hollywood town. Obviously, it's great. I love that. But for me, I like to kind of dig a little bit deeper than that, kind of under the shiny, happy bits. So <laughs> in a city like New York, you're kind of confronted with the realness of it all, I think, a little bit more often. It kind of like slaps you in the face, yeah. you know, a little yeah. bit hardcore. And I think um, in L.A., you kind of have to dig a little bit to find that stuff. And for me, that's been a huge part of the brand is being able to like dig deeper and discover other parts of L.A. that are less obvious and kind of share those with the guy that I talk to. Just cool. Yeah. And so how do you, how have you evolved that? Or like, you can talk a little bit about how you've evolved that since the beginning, because when you mm. started, it was, it was interesting because it was these really limited runs on t-shirts, but everything is black and white and really kind of directly related to LA. Like yeah. there's been like El Coyote shirt. There's been the boulevards, like the list shirts. I think it's just like, so you tell that story so deeply and so differently every season. Well, I think, yeah, I think, you know, there's the more obvious reference points for L.A. Um, again, like Disneyland would be an obvious one. Hollywood is an obvious one. You know, um, Beverly Hills yeah. is an obvious one. Like Rodeo, like there are certain points, I think, that people always associate with L.A. Obviously, I wouldn't say that the, the reference points of mine are less L.A., but I think they're less celebrated mm. parts. Um, looking at like icons like El Coyote where Sharon Tate had her last meal before like the Manson incident happened. That's interesting to me. It doesn't make it more colorful, for example, or <laughs> shinier, but it adds another layer to the story. Um, and I like looking at projects like that. Um, looking at circus of books was really interesting because they're so weirdly iconic in LA in the sex industry. Um, and they were one of the last holdouts where you would go and you would buy um, <clears throat> your DVD porn. And you would go there to like, cruise other guy. It was like a different thing. And now everything has moved online. So they're closing, but it's like definitely an LA story. It was like an LA brand, like the founders of this really interesting couple. Um, they were one of the first shops to carry hustler magazine, which I found to be interesting. They answered an ad that Larry Flint had placed and they were just had a, a bookstore, like a newsstand. Oh, wow. And so he was having a hard time getting distribution for hustler. So he placed an ad and they were one of the first stores in LA to, to respond to that. So they started building their business around the adult kind of porn industry. Oh, wow. So that was, that was, they didn't start out as that. It was they just, just were a newsstand. Yeah. Wow. And they just needed to make some extra cash. Right. So they're this like lovely, like straight couple, but they can rattle off gay porn titles. Like it's no tomorrow. And it's fascinating <laughs> that they like, this was their thing. Right. And I think that's like, you know, one of the stories it's an LA story to me because I love the whole hustler story. So for example, when I collaborated with them, we created the t-shirts, which was great, but each t-shirt came with a vintage Hustler magazine to kind of go back to that reference point. So those kind of stories are more interesting um, yeah. to me. Yeah. yeah. And so like, and I think to dig in a little bit more on like the singularity of the brand, like what's the decision-making process that you go through to keep it there? That's a really good question. I think one of the the goals with this project was to really kind of, again, focus on the t-shirt, right. And keep it very succinct about that product. I think along with that, the storytelling needed to be not focused necessarily all about the t-shirt or just about LA, but keeping whatever story was created to be a tight story because it's a new brand. And I think when you're developing something that's new, making sure that you're telling a story that evolves, but isn't all over the board, I think is important because you really want to be able to, introduce the brands and reinforce it along the way. And of course, through collaborations and through different 
um, seasons, batches, whatever you want to call them, you kind of reveal more layers about the brand, but it still needs to have like a, a center point, right? So with Hero Clark, I think um, part of the process, to be honest, which is not exciting, it's not, it can be creative, but is really kind of outlining what the brand is about. Um, I don't think this is like a news flash to anyone, but like in terms of really identifying who your customer is, what the story of the brand is, who you're trying to reach, like the goals of the brand, creating something that becomes a reference or a guide that you continue to go back to as you develop the brand, I think is important. Obviously everything evolves, like nothing is set in stone. You're not just going to be like, well, this is the way it is and we have to follow this guidebook. But I think it's good because it keeps you grounded because there is so much stuff out there. Like starting a new brand right now, I think is always a challenge, obviously, because there is so much. And and menswear, I think, is probably more interesting, at least to me, because there are more risks being taken um, in that space because it's not completely oversaturated. But that was part of the conscious decision of just focusing on t-shirts too, is that I could introduce a brand and kind of wing it, I guess, as a story and just start introducing all kinds of stuff. I could introduce t-shirts and I could go with jeans and I could do sneakers. I mean, you could yeah, go you crazy, Yeah, you could do right? like casual LA culture and be like, we sell vans, we have board shorts, totally. we have like, and still fit the LA theme. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know how successful that is because when I look at the other side as somebody, as like somebody that shops or buys or as a consumer in general... Because there's so much stuff, I think that the storytelling gets competitive, and I also think that the product categories are competitive. So if you're new, I think it's probably, at least in my opinion, it was more important to be known for doing one thing really well versus trying to do everything kind of well. Okay. Well, yeah, it's like, you know, the team consists of, like, me and, like, a group of friends that work on it, basically. So it's not like I have an unlimited amount of resources to develop this project. So when you're looking at it just because of that the cost of developing all of these products and even doing these kind of programs and these collaborations, they're not free and you want to minimize your financial missteps. So I think it's important to really get one thing done well. I think honestly, the customer would appreciate that more. Like the feedback I get from guys is that you're killing it with this t-shirt. Right. And that's what I want to hear. I don't want to hear like, Oh, we kind of like, or it's kind of warm. Yeah. That's not really the response (laughs) I'm looking for with this. So um, it's a slower build, but I'm kind of looking at it as a long-term project, not as like a in and out fast fashion kind of thing. Like that's not the story I want to tell. Yeah. So you kind of, you covered, you know, at the end of that, you said one of the benefits of, of being that focused is you minimize risk. Yeah. And this is, this is not the first brand you've done. So like part of that speaking from experience, I would say, but what, what do you think are the benefits, not just to your brand, but that you could apply to other brands as well of being this focus? So like, obviously that, that financial piece is Mm -hmm. one of them, but do you feel like there's other things that, that having this type of laser focus have really benefited you? Yeah. I mean, we obviously talked about the financial missteps and I I don't want to underplay that because I think that's really important. Like when you're small and you're trying to make your decision-making is very limited, right? You can't go all over the board unless you have like unlimited resources. That's just not my situation. I'm not, not sure who that is. Yeah. If, I mean, you're, if you're out there, I think those people exist and I'm, that's great for them. Um, I think with my project, like I really was like working around, like this is what I have to work with and kind of, I don't want to say retrofit the story, but it was very realistic about what, how I would start this project. Um, but I think along with that, when you're a little bit more focused, I think you're also building a more loyal and engaged community too. And I think a big part of kind of, reaching whoever it is you're trying to reach is really kind of drilling down and figuring out who that is 
Um, and once you know who that is, is really kind of speaking to them more directly. And obviously, you know, through social and through all the different ways that we communicate now, that's doable, speaking directly to your customer versus always having to go through stores. And I think that's a huge plus for a small brand. But building that kind of loyal community, I think, is a big part of it. And I think the other part of this would be when you're really focused, you can actually improve what works and slowly weed out what doesn't. And what I mean by that is if you're definitely focused on what it is that you're trying to do and you have like goals in place or you know what your product story is or who your customer is, if you have a clear idea or at least a clear-ish idea, um, you're not kind of veering so widely left to right as you're trying to get there. You're kind of like you're reducing that space a little bit more. Yeah, I don't know well, that's that, actually, that's really interesting. Like you're saying you you can't get as lost. That's right? a really like, good way of looking Because like you could fall off the path a little bit, but you're like one degree north or one degree south versus being like, oh man, we like really went heavy into, I don't know, like, hey, I love like getting, ripped jeans and that trend is now over and we need to be doing like whatever. Yeah. I love like getting lost. I love the whole wild ride of getting from point A to point B. I think that's a huge part. I think that's the fun part. It's the creative part. And I don't know anyone that works in a creative field that doesn't like that process. I think the reality though, is when you're working on something that's small and new, and again, with limited resources to build it, that process can throw you off your game and potentially like it's a huge pitfall. Like it's fun and exciting to do that. And I think everybody should be like, go crazy with that, but just being able to create some parameters around that. So you can kind of maximize what that looks like for you. I think it's important. Totally. So if you, do you feel like there's a way that you could almost like give advice or if someone is trying to retool their brand or start a new brand and they're saying like, okay, I, I do want to go with more of a singular vision. Do you feel like there's advice that you'd be able to offer them to help them head in that direction? I, mean, I would talk their ear off, first of all. Yeah. There's so much advice. I mean, I've been doing this, I feel like, for such a long time in different, in different um, forms that, I mean, I super enjoy it. But man, I have like lots of advice. So, I, I mean, to be honest, I think the biggest thing is not only thinking it through, but writing it down. And I know that sounds so cliche, but a lot of people just don't do that especially if you're working with other people, if you have a partner on a project, um, if you're working with other people and they're kind of informing the project, I think it's always good to like write it down. So at least everybody's kind of on the same page, so to speak, or sees things, at least they're on the same level as they enter the project. I think that's important. Um, it's definitely not the most fun part, but I definitely think it's a must. Um, again, clarifying like who you are, like goals, identity, product offering, like who are you talking to? Like who is your customer going through all that stuff Again, it can be a fun exercise. You can make it fun, but I think it's important to at least kind of get through that. Because sometimes you enter a project, again, if you're working with somebody else and you guys are just not seeing eye to eye, you think that you are. This is the thing. Everyone creatively thinks that they're like, oh, yeah, we got it. Like, when somebody says, just make it cool, I have no idea what yeah. that means. But yeah. I love it when people say We've that. Oh, yeah, that feedback. You know, make it, can you just make it cool? Be more I, creative. It, yeah. Okay, yeah. that is such a subjective phrase. And I think those are the kind of things you want to avoid when you start something new. Um, I think it's also really important. You need to look closely at the people and the brands around you that kind of, that you consider yourself related to um, and brands and products that you kind of sit next to. I think it's good to look at those brands and see how they're doing stuff. Um, I'm not implying at all that you do it the way that they're doing, but you can definitely get a better idea of what works and what doesn't. Um, and I think more importantly, if you feel like 
somebody is doing exactly what you're doing, your goal would be to figure out a way to do it better or do it a little bit differently. Because if it's being done, it's being done. And it's like, again, they could be huge and you could be small and you can go head to head with them. I just, again, think that might not be the most. Yeah. Or if, best it, of, if you were ever actually doing something the best and that was the only thing that was different about it, a big brand would just come yeah. take that. Well, that's the other thing yeah. too. When you're small and you're emerging, like it's, I won't say that it's common, but it, it does happen more often than not where big brands, of course, they're going to come in and they're going to bite kind of what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and so you want to be able to kind of do it differently. I mean, I think innovating is probably the best way of looking at it. Like obviously like with something I'm doing, I'm working with a t-shirt. Um, I don't know if the innovation comes with actually creating the t-shirt. I mean, I think that's exciting and interesting, but I think a lot of the innovation comes with, again, how you're speaking to your customer where you're distributing your product, how you're telling that story. I think that's the more interesting part. And there's a lot of space and a lot of tools to help you innovate in that way. Yeah. And I think that actually opens up kind of the next line of questioning that would be like, obviously, you know, in design, there's been a lot of, a lot of this like editing and paring down and staying on brand that you've had to do. Like what other parts of the business does that filter into where you're saying like, okay, I had, this is like a brand decision. This isn't just like a, you know, this this isn't just Tuesday decision. You don't just like, you're not like, oh, I stress about t-shirt design and that's mm. it. We've saying. stressed about Instagram posts. We've stressed about who, who, we, who we collaborate <laughs> with, what the, the copy, the retailers, yeah. the partners, like all that, you know? And so I think it's, it's interesting to talk about. It's like, oh, you know, it's not just like, oh, it's all like, it's all in the product, right? Like the editing is not just in the product. Well, I think, I think it starts with the product. Like I think yeah. definitely at least from where I sit, I wanted to make sure that the product was high quality. And I think once you do that, and once you decide that you want to work with a quality product and create the best product that you can create, it's not saying that you suddenly reach that point. You're like, and I'm done. And now we're on to the next thing. Um, I think then you start looking around at all the other pieces, right? So you create this like rock star product or this, this t-shirt that you're so proud of or whatever you want to call it. And then you have to look more closely at all the pieces that sit around it. Because I, I know people that I think are just so talented and it's so unfortunate because they don't know how to tell their story, right? They're purely creative and that's an amazing thing to have to be so creative. I think that it's important though to then look at all the other pieces, right? So, I mean, you just touched on a whole bunch, like it's the marketing, it's the distribution, it's the storytelling um, and obviously like the graphics for what I do. Yeah. Um, I think once you feel like you've just, you've designed or created whatever it is that you're building your brand around, I think it's really important to maintain that level of quality with all the other aspects. Um, it's important to me only because you've spent so much time kind of perfecting this thing, right? Like I spent so much time researching and developing this t-shirt. Um, I think along with that is making sure that like all the partners, all of the stores, all of the press kind of, again, helps reinforce that story. So I, it's always been easy to kind of jump in with whoever approaches you first. I see this happen all the time and I see it happen a lot more with um, people that are kind of new to the game or new to design and you get really excited and it's really flattering. And so such and such media outlet wants to report on you or such and such store wants to carry you. The thing is, if you developed a product that's really great, it's just, it's better to spend the time making sure that you have a perfect match so again, I'm kind of in it for the long haul. So I was never in any rush to 
make any decisions that I thought would kind of like um, undersell the value of the brand. So when we talk about like retailers, for example, I've been really slow to kind of get into wholesale or retail, whatever you want to call it. Um, And I've had different stores approach me from the beginning, but I didn't think that they were a great match for the brand. And I knew that trying to get the stores that I wanted would be a longer haul and a longer road because usually the ones that are really great are not the ones that are going to jump on you right away. Like you kind of need to earn it a little mm-hmm. bit and prove it. And I think that patience thing, annoying patience thing yeah. um, for me, who's so impatient is something that you kind of just have to like suck it up and say, this is going to be, it's going to take a second. Um, plus you want to make sure that you're kind of improving what you're doing as part of the process as you go. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing is, is like out the gate, I might think I'm doing the most kick-ass job in the world and I'm just like giving myself pats on the back and I'm like, hooray. And that's cool. You should totally have that moment, but know that there's always room for improvement. And I think that was probably one of the biggest things as I continued to kind of improve the story, um, improve the design, improve all of that stuff. And then when it was ready, then it started to kind of go out into the world. So who are these first retailers that you're in now? Really? I mean, I was really lucky. Like first ones out the gate were like Ron Herman and um, American Rag. Yeah. Which is great. I mean, for, for being an LA brand, those mm-hmm. are like in menswear. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. I, I would say even to your credit, it was in, like interesting because we talked about this a lot as it was happening. There was even stores that would be considered like good, like good stores that would be the stores that other people would be patient for that. We were, we were still like, or you were still like, Hey, this isn't the right first thing. I know. Right. And it's like <laughs> that idea of being like, yeah, no, it's good, but it's not the first thing. Yeah. Right. And to your point, it's not like day two opening ceremonies. Like, yes, like we would well, like, I, yeah. I think the thing is, is that you create kind of like your, your goals, right? Like kind of your, your top, your favorite, your best. And this goes for everything, right? It goes for media. It goes for influencers. It goes for stores. It goes for your customer. I mean, you want to like shoot for the moon, I think always, because that's the goal. Like, in my mind, if you're going to go through all the trouble of creating something, it better be awesome. Like, that's the point, right? Um, so with that said, you kind of create these, like, I don't want to call them unobtainable, but, like, your dream list, I guess, of all of this stuff. And you know that it's going to be hard to get there, and you'll probably, like, hit some different rocky spots on the way. But, like, that's where you want to go. And I feel, like, really, like, I've just been really determined to try to get there. Yeah. I'm not saying that I'm there, but I'm saying I'm, like, working in that direction. Yeah, yeah. But, it's, but it's growing. Yeah. yeah. So totally. I feel like you've done so well in you've done so much yourself, right, without having to bring on other, like, full-time people, right? So one key to that is, like, killing yourself over it, right, because you're working a ton yeah. or you're, like, always doing things what do you think it's been that you've been able to kind of go to so many other like wells and friends to get the support that you've needed? Do you feel like it's that like people have bought into the vision or do you think it's that like it was a base that you had already established? Do you, or, really do you ever wonder, do you ever, you're ever like, why, like how do I have like six or seven other people working on this brand? But like everyone just has like a very siloed piece of what they're doing. I think God, that's a really good question. I, I think in the process of doing this, I have just like continued to work with really great people. Like I have like really talented friends. Like I work with great people. I respect what they do. And when it comes to what I, what I do, I feel very fortunate. That there's always been some overlap. Um, it's not to say that everyone has been like a perfect fit, but you're talking about like friends, people, colleagues, like people that like, I just have a lot of respect for. Um, and I've been lucky to be able to tap them and, I hope that they find it fun on some level. I'm sure sometimes it's not fun at all, but like, 
I think I just, yeah, I've just been really fortunate. Yeah. I, I, my, like my two cents on that is almost like this is one of those benefits of having like a very singular brand because if it was like, oh, it's a, like another online retailer or it's like another menswear brand and then you were trying to get buy-in from someone, they're like, okay, like, right, they, the first thing, they're like, well, what about like, what about like all of these other stores that are doing the exact same thing versus something where it's like, oh, this is totally unique and I have this skill and yeah, like I'll lend my, like I can lend a hand. It's really easy for me to see like how I plug into, I think especially for like Matt Black having worked on it in a, in some ways yeah. saying like, yeah, it's really easy for us to plug into this because it makes so much sense. Like in like you it's land on the website and you get it and you land on the social and you get it. Um, so last question, what, like what exciting stuff is coming up? You just get to, like we want to hear the, the plugs. I mean, I, right now, I've like been living so much in the present. It's been so hard for me to like look that far ahead. Um, I would say in 2017, we will probably see Hero Clark out and about a little bit more. Um, I think a big part of the process has been just understanding where, not where I want the brand to go. I've always had a kind of an eye on where I want it to go, but figuring out the best way to get it there. Um, I've been really like, on it in terms of kind of managing where it goes myself. So having everything run through the website, which has been awesome. I love that. Like you can build businesses these days around that. It was different and like, it was different in the other lives I had in the past. So that's been exciting. But I think at this point, like when I look at wholesale and retail, I think it's another opportunity for people to experience the brand. So heroclark.com. I love the site. I think it's great. It's awesome. But having more layers for someone to experience, I think is important. So wholesale is important. Um, having that retail bit and then looking at ways um, to experience the brand, I think is something I'm trying to focus on for two yeah. years. something like more live events, something more real. Yeah. So I would encourage anyone who's listening to definitely like one, go look at the site, obviously. So it's heroclark.com. Yeah. It's at heroclark on social Instagram mainly, yeah. but like the list of collaborations is kind of ridiculous. Like it's a Wilhelmina models. Yeah, the list um, has been great. Le Labo, Equinox, um, what, what, Verve Coffee, which Verve is Coffee, like, yeah. like just like a really cool kind of yeah. off the wall one. Um, what are the others? Like, what are there a couple others that you've you've been excited? We're on number two with Le Labo, though. Yeah, this is yeah. like the second time. I mean, I've been really lucky. Like again, uh, Le Labo happened totally organically um, in the coolest way. I had just launched the brand and was introduced to one of the founders. I think Hero Clark had been open for two weeks and I met with Fabrice. He's amazing, super cool guy. And we were just kind of chatting and, you know, he had just met me. And so obviously when you start talking about collaborating with two brands, it's kind of like, well, what, you know, what's the story here? And when I, we started talking about the idea, I think that's when it clicked and it just became like this natural, um, natural collaboration. And it was great to do scented t-shirts. That was so like off the wall and like cool. And like, I don't know a lot of people that have done that before. But I think the point is, is that that was my first collaboration out the gate. So being able to work with a brand like that um, from the very beginning, I think then sets not a precedent, but sets a standard, I think for the, the brand. And that's, for the rest yeah. And that's, I mean, I, I think I was very lucky doing that. I think a lot of times you work your way up to something like that. Um, but with that said, it opened up the doors to work with a lot of these other brands. So working with Equinox, awesome. Working with Wilhelmina, same thing. Um, working with Verve, like all very different, yeah. but like pretty cool ones. But it's all, and I think the the thing that 
maybe people notice is like the, the fact that it's multidimensional because a lot of times a collaboration means like a sharing of logos where it's just like, oh, we'll put like our logo on your like sweaters that you always do and you'll put your logo on our bags that we always do. But yours is like, okay, it not only is it a custom graphic from you, but it's the scent. Yeah. Or not only did the like the um, Equinox ones, not only were they custom graphics, but they were like from Pumping Iron and like the Arnold cool. documentary, right? Yeah. So it's like they had all of these kind of layers. So I have one more. I appreciate the time. Thanks for being here. But the, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you one more wrap up question. Being that you're LA, LA centric yeah. brand, sure. What are like? Give me one or two movies that are like to you the quintessential LA films. Yeah, David Lynch's Mulholland Drive is definitely one. I think captures like kind of like upside down weirdness of LA in like the best way. Because the film, like even when you watch the film, you watch it like two or three times to wrap your head around what's going on. But that's how LA feels every day to me. So bizarre. Um, there's so many good LA movies. I know. That's the thing. I mean, there's like, I can go crazy with this list. I can go less than zero, Chinatown, Blade Runner. Well, you've talked to me about Blade Runner before. I feel like. Like we've had a specific, you talked about how Blade Runner, like, and I never realized this, that the thing you thought was interesting about Blade Runner was the fact that it was, the future was built on top of the past and the past was still there. And I'd like never realized that. I was like, oh yeah, that, it won't be like they like get rid of all the infrastructure. It'll be like that you just build like right on top of all the old decaying infrastructure. That's the realistic part about a city like LA. Like LA just kind of builds out, right? Yeah. So when you look at the city of LA, I think in terms of the story that LA tells, it tells this very much like expansive, like land thing, like go West. It's far reaching. It's as far as the eye can see. It's the American dream. It's like all of these things like wrapped around like one story. And, and when you look at the way that LA builds itself, it just kind of builds out. Like LA might tear parts of itself down, but really it just kind of continues to push outward because it can. Yeah. When you look at like a city like New York, New York builds up, but the Island is a very finite amount of space. So really that's all you can do. Um, when you look at a film like Blade Runner, the interesting part is it's not this super clean, pristine. We just wiped it away and replaced it's it with something amazing. Now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Instead it's like they took what was there and then they just continue to add these layers. So it has this grit and this dirtiness, even though it has this very futuristic cyber story on it. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So, Mulholland Drive, Blade Runner, two quintessential LA That's movies really cool. from Andy. Okay, so um, your your Datsun. No, what, what kind of car was it? It's a Merce- Mercedes. Oh, your fifty SL. Oh my yeah. god, you have such a cool car. It was my American Gigolo car. What basically. year? Uh, Seventy three. Okay, seventy three yeah. Mercedes gets stolen. So imagine the car in American Gigolo. Great movie. That's yeah. the same make of car that like was in that film. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I love it. And um, I had that car when I moved to L.A. I knew I needed to get a car. I hadn't had a car in 15 years from living in New York. So when I came here, I'm like, what is the ultimate like L.A. car? I'm like, it needs to be vintage. It needs to be a convertible. It needs to be a two-seater. And that car, after seeing that movie, I was like, this is the car for me. Granted, schlepping boxes in that, of T-shirts in that car. Not there's, so nothing, there's nothing practical about that car. <laughs> you can bring one person in yeah. like an overnight bag, and that's all that's going to fit in that car. Yeah. But I was like, it's so cool to have that car, like my first car in 15 years. I have this car. Ironically, I was going to El Coyote, which is like one of my favorite restaurants in L.A. Um, it's super like L.A. for so many reasons. And I was going there because I was going, I had created 
thank you packages from my top customers. It was like a holiday thing. And I wanted like an LA survival kit for Mm -hmm. like all like my top 10 guys that shop at Hero Clark. And one of the pieces I wanted to include was like six El Coyote paper napkins for each one. So you'd have like a set of six. So the whole mission of me going to El Coyote was to basically steal. To steal napkins. To steal napkins, basically. You know, to order drinks and then keep asking for like six napkins at a time. So I'd have like 60 napkins when I left. Yeah, and this this kit's cool too. We won't won't dwell on it, but it was like an in-and-out bag with like these and then like star maps and like cheap sunglasses. It had like uh, matches from the Chateau Marmont. It had a star map. It had... um, postcard vintage postcard from LA mm-hmm. it had an in and out burger so gift card for 10 bucks yeah. I mean it was just like all these kind of like, like LA, LA yeah. reference points right and part of that was these this set of napkins yeah. so mission accomplished I get the napkins I have a couple of margaritas I walk out and my beautiful LA car is fully stolen <laughs> <laughs> that car is gone yeah um, somebody jumped in that car and jacked it like probably with a knife and just, cause the top wasn't even on the car. They probably just jumped in and took off. It was not parked in the El Coyote parking lot. It was not parked in the El Coyote parking lot. It was parked right out in front on the street. So, um, so that you, was, it was gone. So you hit me up. So yeah, so I hit so you we, up. So we talked eventually. You like post on Facebook yeah. and then we, we joked about, oh, we should do a missing post on Absolutely. Instagram. Yeah. And so we did a missing we did like a, it was like a Polaroid of the car and said missing on it. <laughs> totally and then we right. talked about how the car got stolen out in front of El Coyote. Yeah. And we were like a little bit, we had never talked to them about the fact that you had the graphic on the shirt. Cause it was like a straight up image of the. Yeah. So meantime, so yeah. like one of like the shirts that I had done was like an homage to El Coyote. Yeah. So like this happens, this probably was like karma for doing it or something. But like really what happened was, is I had done like a whole t-shirt with like El Coyote's, not their logo, but like their sign or something. Yeah, yeah. It was like a gritty like photo outtake. I didn't talk to them about it because I had only done like 12 of them. Like, so I was like, this is just like super cool and I'm going to do it. Um, so after the car thing went down, it became this f- point of fear for me. Cause I was like, Oh man, like, you know, I'm like stealing napkins. I'm like <laughs> doing a t-shirt. She's like a vigilante. Yeah. I love them so much. Like I'm such a fan and I never actually met the owners or talked to them. And, and, um, we do this post and there's this fear about even tagging them in it. Yeah, I love yeah. these modern day fear, like the, <laughs> the social media fear. Coyotes, Instagram? We probably talked about this for like an hour. We did. Like, this was we not did. like a light conversation. No. We went ahead and did it. And I think we positioned it in a way where obviously I mean, they, they had nothing to do with the car being stolen. Yeah. We um, said like it was not in their parking, like exactly. out front. I cannot street. stress this enough. Yeah, it was not in the parking lot. <laughs> they had nothing to do with this. But um, the cool thing that happened, or I think the, the interesting part that made it such a great Hero Clark story is that the owner reached out. Like the owner reached out to me um, on social media. She was really apologetic. She offered to help with looking for the car. Like so great. And then she saw that I had the t-shirt and she ordered some. Like she was so honored by the fact that we did a t-shirt for them. And I was like, sure, of course. And um, she said, well, will you sign one when you send it to me? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Okay. And so what had happened was is they went ahead and they had the shirt framed with the signature. So when you walk in, it's framed and on the wall, mm-hmm. which to me is like the ultimate compliment. So basically I look at losing the car as a marketing cost. Yeah. That was, that was a hard marketing. Yeah. It was a hard marketing cost. It was definitely a big one, but That's, it was a hit that like was yeah. such a great story. Like I just love them and they've been so supportive of what I've been doing ever since. Yeah. So. We, we talked about how that was like the most 
the hero clark thing that could happen to you is like the yeah. car getting stolen out front and it's funny that it's a place that you've like you've gone there for years oh yeah i love that place yeah, and i've been going there since before i even lived in la like and now you around. have like your shirts on like still on the wall yeah. and will be up there for the foreseeable future as i'm sure they don't change out the wall decor very often i don't think that they do yeah um, so i mean do they let you drink for free now? No, they never. No, no, no. I actually, no. I mean, I actually hadn't met the owner face to face until like more recently. Mm. I was there for a friend's birthday and I reached out to her to say, hey, I'm going to be there. And she bought a round of shots for all of us. Like, oh. That was cool. There you go. Yeah. That's taken away from the marketing cost again. Yeah, there you go. Amazing. <laughs>